Well, good morning. Every once in a while, when I'm teaching, I sit in my office and I go, I think I need to just do a reality check on the topic. And here's the reality check on when it comes to wise decisions. Making a wise decision is not as easy as I can make it sound when I'm teaching. There are times when a wise choice is not immediately clear, no matter how hard we look for it, right? Uh, well, let me, let me add one caveat to that. When I sit across from you at a table and we're talking about your life, a wise choice is really clear. Ever been there? Talking to somebody else, their life is messed up, they're facing a choice, it's really clear what they should do. But when I'm sitting alone thinking about my life, it's complicated. I mean, when we're thinking about our own life, our emotions get wrapped up in the decision. Our objectivity is clouded. We wrestle with conflicting priorities. We start with flawed assumptions that are really hard for us to see. And those flawed assumptions definitely skew our logic. And then there are times when we're wrestling with a really tough choice and we're getting pressure from family, from friends. And that makes the tough choice even tougher. In those days when we're struggling to make a decision, the wise choice is really hard to find, our prayers can sound a lot less like prayers and a lot more like complaints and protests that we lob at God. And the Psalms are full of them. We can end up throwing our prayers at God like David did and saying, God, how long? How long am I going to wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have this heart that's weighted down heavy with sorrow? So last week, we began this two-part series about making wise choices in our life. And let me quickly recap what we talked about last week before we move ahead this week. The Bible has a lot of very clear commands for us, directives about what we're supposed to do in our life. It tells us what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and in those cases, it's just really clear what the wise choice is. But the Bible also doesn't speak directly to a lot of other things in our lives, and in those areas, we're supposed to apply principles, the guidelines that are there in Scripture for us. Last week in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, we looked at one of those principles. It came in the form of a question, a question that I think is helpful in a lot of situations, whether you in your heart have wrestled to the ground what you believe about Jesus or not, whether you've accepted him as the one who will forgive your sins and lead your life or not. I think it's still a very helpful question. And in its full form, the question is this. In light of my past experiences, in light of my current situation, in light of my future hopes and dreams, in this situation, what's the wise thing for me to do? 
And my hope is that that question messed with you all week. That it came up over and over again in your mind. That you were aware of that question. And that at least you began to think about it and answer it in specific situations in your life. I won't ask for a show of hands on this next part. Because as we answer the question, some of us began to realize we know the wise thing to do. We answered the question and our immediate response was, yeah, I know the wise thing to do. I, I, I just don't want to do it. You know, this is what I should do. I, nope, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to raise hands because that could be a little too much to reveal right now in this process. But trust me, if that was you, you're not alone. There are a whole lot of us in this room who routinely recognize the wise thing to do and then just don't do it. But that self-awareness is an important step in getting to the place where we consistently make wise choices in our lives, recognizing I don't always have my own best interest in mind when I make choices. So to help us move closer to making those decisions, I want us this morning to look at Proverbs chapter 1, a few verses out of that lengthy chapter. The book of Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. The Bible says Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He was King David's tenth son. He was the third king of the nation of Israel. And Solomon, if you read his writings in the Old Testament, Solomon spent a great deal of time looking at how people make their choices and wisdom in our lives. And he specifically writes about four different types of people and their reaction to wisdom that's offered to them in their life. As you might expect, foremost among those four types of people is what he would simply call the wise people in this world. People who, as we would expect, ask the right questions, embrace wisdom, and then consequently make the best decisions for their life. Wise choices. And there's a lot in Proverbs about the benefits of living that way. So Solomon wrote about wise people, but he also wrote about three other alternatives to living wisely. In fact, you could summarize all of Solomon's teaching by simply saying, when we choose to walk away from wisdom, we are choosing to walk toward something else. And whether that choice is intentional or accidental, the consequences are often the same. So let's take a look at what we're walking towards first. And it comes with a caution. Solomon was labeled the wisest man in the world. Being wise did not make him tactful. Did not make him the smoothest at presenting his words. In fact, Solomon spoke truth rather bluntly, so you might feel your blood pressure rise as he uses some of these words to teach us this morning. But we owe it to ourselves, even though he's blunt, to look at the words of the wisest man who ever lived when it comes to making wise choices in our lives. So let's dig in. In verse 20 of chapter 1, Solomon launches into his talk about wisdom this way. He says, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice. Stop right there. It's an interesting choice that he gives women the female pronoun a feminine voice to wisdom. That will come as a shock to about 40% of the people in the room today. Anyway, 
She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Solomon says wisdom is readily available. In his day, religious and political leaders would sit in prominent places throughout the cities. they just hang out. Even the king would just hang out at places like the city gate that was heavily fortified, heavily guarded, the entrance to the city. They would just hang out and you could approach them. If you had a decision you needed to make in your life and you couldn't seem up to come up with the answer on your own, you could approach them, talk with them about the decision, and they would offer you wisdom in your life. Solomon says, when we get stuck, when we've asked the question, what's the wise thing to do, and we don't honestly know, go find wise people to help. Look around. I would bet my last dollar that every single person in this room knows wise people. Everybody has somebody wise in their life that they could go to. Somebody that's willing to help if we're willing to listen and ask. Now, people who aren't willing to do those things, Solomon says there's three kinds of people in this world that fall into that category. The first are the simple people. Remember what I said about Solomon being blunt? We don't say that about people a lot. I would choose a different word. I'd say they're naive. They might be clueless. These are the people, I think, who just simply lack experience in their life. Occasionally, I run into... Some people who are adults who, in the family they were raised in, they weren't allowed to make a lot of choices. Their parents decided everything for them. That carried on through their teenage years and into their college years and sometimes into their 20s and beyond. Their parents made all their decisions for them. And so they find themselves inexperienced at making their own decisions in life. They struggle as adults to survive. In other circumstances, I find people who move from small rural communities to Chicago and they just lack the experience to navigate life in a big city. We moved here to Chicago 20 years ago and it was a culture shock because I'd lived all of my life at that point for 35 years in small towns. I thought they were big towns, but I moved to Chicago and I was really in shock. First time I walked around the mall, just in shock at the blend of cultures and languages and the masses of people. The same can be true of people who've lived in a city like Chicago and moved to the country. It is as complex in the country in a different way to navigate those relationships. Sometimes we just lack experience when we're dropped into new situations. Solomon says, you're just simple. You're inexperienced in those. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's a stage of life thing for us. Now let me pick on the easiest example first because I think it'll resonate the clearest. 
One of the toughest challenges, I think, in parenting is helping our kids understand, realize that they simply haven't lived long enough to understand the potential consequences of some of the decisions they want to make. I see all the adults nodding. I probably would guess the kids are going, "Uh uh-uh. Let me help by quoting an eminent philosopher of our day, Taylor Swift. (laughs) Taylor Swift said, when you're 15 and somebody tells tells you they love you, you what? Thank you. Nobody in first service knew that. At least we had one. Taylor Swift says, when, somebody, when you're 15, somebody tells you they love you, you believe them. Why? Because you're 15. You don't have a ton of experience in relationships at 15, I hope. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you're stupid. It's not a criticism. It's appropriate at 15. It's just a warning from Solomon here to say, sometimes we simply lack the experience to inform a wise decision. Does it make sense? Wow, let me drill a deeper. Uh, Before we get smug on that about teenagers, let's just agree together that that not having experience in situations in life isn't limited to teenagers. Every one of us goes through situations in our life where we lack the experience to make a wise decision. We go into our first marriage thinking we know everything, and we find out quickly we don't know what we thought we knew. We have our first baby. We struggle in our first marriage. We get our first job. We lose our first job. We hit midlife. We hit retirement. There are a myriad of things we hit in life where we have first experiences and we don't know what to do. Lacking experience is not our fault. It's just a reality we have to deal with. And insisting on forging ahead without wisdom from people who've been there, that is our fault. That's when Solomon would say, we're just being simple. We're being naive. We're being clueless. We're not being wise. We don't have to learn all of life's lessons the hard way. Solomon has a little harsher word for the second type of person who ignores wisdom. He calls this person a fool. We don't use that word much today. We might call this person reckless or thoughtless or at the very worst, we'd look at them and go, they're just being dumb. Solomon says in verse 22, a fool hates knowledge. Now, we take the word hate and we attach it to strong emotion. When in reality, what Solomon uses for the word hate is more of a decision between two things. He's saying you've got wisdom over here and you've got all your other choices over here and you've made a conscious decision to walk away from wisdom. That's the meaning of that word in the original language. You've chosen against knowledge. That's what you've done. It's the person who sits across the table from you and you can see clearly that they're making a bad decision and you talk with them and they go, I don't care. I just don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Solomon would say that person is a fool who hates knowledge. 
When we lived in Ohio, we had a couple who were very good friends, uh, Steve and Judy. And they did this cool thing in the church. Uh, every Sunday afternoon from like spring through the fall, they invited the college students to come over to their house. However many there were that Sunday, you were welcome to come to their house. And you play cards. When the weather got warm, you'd swim, play volleyball, do whatever you wanted to do, just hang at their house. And as the afternoon progressed, uh, they'd bust out the grill, they'd throw hot dogs on the grill, and uh, if you came, you'd bring either a bottle of pop or a bag of chips, and you'd just hang, eat dinner, and you'd, they'd stay sometimes till midnight or after at Steve and Judy's. Everybody loved Steve and Judy. They also loved Steve's bulldog. He had this massive, all-white bulldog named Ike. Ike became the mascot of the college group, and you could do anything with Ike. Ike was just this gentle, fun-loving, massive bulldog. They would hang out with Ike. They'd run with Ike. They'd play frisbee with Ike. They could do anything with Ike. In fact, one afternoon, they got Ike down on the ground. He was very passive. They took a Sharpie and drew a tattoo on Ike's left shoulder. Big black tattoo, arrow through it, and left space in the center with Judy's name on it. Ike was a cool dog then with a tattoo like some of the college guys. It was really funny. You do anything with Ike. You just couldn't feed Ike people food. Ike would just go spastic if he thought he was going to get people food. And he wouldn't eat it. He'd inhale it. Literally. So on a particular Sunday afternoon, one of the new guys did not know the rules. And he was about to eat a hot dog. He dropped it on the ground, thought he'd do a cool thing, grabbed the hot dog, pitched it to Ike. Ike went nuts went for the hot dog, and instead of eating it, inhaled it. A whole hot dog went into his windpipe. Within a matter of seconds, Ike was choking, couldn't get his breath, fell over on the ground. College guys freaked. Their mascot was on the ground, literally dying in front of them. They had no idea what to do. Okay? What are you going to do? You got... 30 seconds to decide here, what are you going to do? This dog is dying in front of you. Confess, I am not doing mouth-to-mouth on a bulldog. (laughs) Love the dog, don't care if it dies, I'm not doing mouth-to-mouth on the dog. One of the guys got this massive 80-pound bulldog from behind, picked him up, and started doing the Heimlich maneuver on a bulldog. I'd have never thought of that. One pump, two pumps, third pump. Third pump, this hot dog, don't get ahead of me, this hot dog comes flying out of Ike's mouth, straight out of his mouth, about 20 feet away, and lands on the ground, still intact. Kid sees the hot dog, lays Ike back on the ground, and Ike lays there for a second, and he starts to breathe. He shudders a little bit, and he stands up. And then he just shakes. And he's fine. And it was amazing. All the college kids start to high-five, and they start laughing and applauding. Ike is fine. Nobody's paying attention to Ike, who now has his eyes fixed on a hot dog that's 20 feet away. And he just kind of wanders over and goes, huh, somebody left a hot dog. And he eats it. Now, at this point, some of you are going, that's an interesting story. How is he going to get back to wisdom 
in this. How's he going to tie it in? What I want to say to you is, don't be Ike. Don't be Ike. When we do the same thing over and over in our lives, intentionally ignoring the wise choice, we are being reckless. We're just being dumb. Solomon would say, don't be like Ike. In fact, Solomon said, as a dog returns to its own vomit, so are fools that repeat their folly. You didn't think I could find a scripture to support that story, did you? (laughs) We do it. There's hope for the naive, clueless, simple person. They just need time and experience. They can become wise. They can learn. The cure for the fool, it's a lot more painful. It often takes a tragedy for the fool to change their ways because our foolishness blinds us to our selfishness. The fool says, hey, it's my life. It's my time. It's my body. I'll do what I want to with it. Proverbs views it differently. Solomon said, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If we walk away from wisdom long enough, choose the path of a fool repeatedly, we're eventually going to hurt somebody we love. Maybe our mother, our father, our husband, our wife, our brother, our sister, a friend, a co-worker, Eventually, we're going to find ourselves standing with someone that we care deeply about and just going, I never meant to hurt you. I was just, I'm sorry. And the reality will be that they still got hurt because it's the companion, it's the friend of a fool, that reckless, thoughtless person who ends up suffering. The third person that walks away from wisdom is really extreme. It's a mocker. This is a person you don't want to work for. You don't want to be married to. You don't even want to be around. It's the fool on steroids. This is a person who knows the truth but just doesn't care about right and wrong. It's a person who is critical and condescending in conversations. It's somebody you find yourself always off balance around because they constantly control conversations. They do it through their attitude. They do it by putting off this air that they're smarter than everybody else, even though everybody knows they're not. Solomon says, don't bother trying to correct them. Because anybody that rebukes a mocker is going to get an insult in return. And when you finally succeed in driving them out of the room, then the strife goes away, the discord in the room, the quarrels and the insults end, because that's what they bring to the conversation. This person is an angry, bitter person who wants no part of wisdom. 
As I sat with this passage this week, I realized it is possible if we make the wrong decisions, if we walk away from wisdom long enough, it's possible for us to live our entire lives as one of these people. What's more likely, though, for most of us is that at times we'll find ourselves making decisions in one of these roles. We'll reject wisdom and head into an unwise choice, like a naive choice. We'll be faced with something and we'll just look at it and go, eh, it's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt anybody. There won't be any consequences to this. I'm just going to do it. And we make a naive choice based on our lack of experience when a few simple questions or someone who knows could save us and the people we love a lot of pain. Or we make a foolish choice. We ignore the wisdom that's screaming at us. We listen to trusted friends, and then we just go, I know, I know, I know. Is that all you got? Really? Okay, that's it? That's your best shot? All right, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. In spite of wisdom. Or we choose to be a mocker, not even realizing that's what we're doing. We have friends who want to help us. And when they tell us wisdom, we get angry. We rage at them. We insult them. And they're just trying to help us make a wise choice. Solomon pleads with us for our good and for the good of those we love, to choose the path of wisdom. He says, repent at my rebuke. There have been times in my life when I've been thinking about a decision and somebody shared wisdom and it just comes at me like a cup of cold water in my face. It can be shocking to be hit with wisdom. I think that's what causes us sometimes to respond like the mocker, to give this strong pushback to wisdom. But the intent of wisdom is to get us to do a 180 in our lives, to turn around, to go the other way. That's what repent means. Try something new, different, a 180 from what you've been doing. And in his wisdom, Solomon's just simply asking, aren't we tired of learning everything the hard way? Aren't we tired of hurting and wounding the people around us even though we didn't mean to? Aren't we tired of every year looking like the year before with the same problems, the same hang-ups, the same dashed hopes? If so, then turn around. Try something new. Try the wise path as an alternative. Every one of us is eventually going to need wisdom in our lives. Everyone. We're going to need wisdom in our finances. Maybe it's because we've gotten in debt that we can't get out of on our own. Maybe it's because we have finances we need to invest in. We don't know how. Some of us are going to need help to rescue a marriage or reconnect with kids that we've lost touch with. Some are going to need help to break an addiction. Some of us are heading towards retirement and need help figuring out how to invest the next 15, 20 years of our life wisely. 
In those moments when we need help, it is oh so tempting to go it alone. And the reason it's tempting is on both sides of the equation. It's because success is intoxicating and failure is humiliating. And on both sides, wherever we find ourselves, it becomes tough to look for a wise person, even though we need it so desperately. So I'll say it again. There are going to be times when all of us ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? And we come up empty. So if that's where you are today, if you're facing a challenging situation and the circumstances won't let you wait for that answer, you need to make a decision. Go for help. Don't trust your judgment alone. If you're out of your league in terms of experience or education, get some help. Don't pretend you know it all. Don't fake it. Asking for help isn't a reflection on your, on your lack of wisdom. Asking for input is evidence of wisdom. And God makes this promise. You ask for wisdom... And he's going to pour his thoughts into you. He's going to make his teachings known to you. Sometimes he'll just do it directly through his Holy Spirit. Sometimes he does it as we pour through the pages of his word. And often he does it as we sit across the table from a really wise friend. Come on, wisdom says. I'm giving you another chance. I'm calling to you. Listen to me while there's still hope. Doesn't matter what path you chose yesterday. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you could have been a mocker. You could have been simple. You could have been a fool. It doesn't matter. We've all made bad choices. Doesn't matter the storm that's raging in your life. Doesn't matter the challenges that you're facing right now doesn't matter if they're a result of your bad choices or you've been hanging around some fools that have drug you into some stuff. The Bible says you can hit the reset button. You can start over right now. Choose a new path. Choose the wise thing to do. Today.